Welcome to Wisdom and the Word Podcast, the show that not only answers your questions from God's Word, but equips believers with the foundational truths for their faith. We're excited that you've taken time to join us and hope that today's content is valuable to you. In today's episode, Pastor Wiley continues his study through the book of Hebrews. Welcome to the Tuesday broadcast of Wisdom in the Word. I'm so glad that you're joining us today on this Tuesday. And every Tuesday, we study through the book of Hebrews. Now, on Thursday, we answer your questions, and we've received a few more questions. We're adding those to the list. If you'd like to send them to us, please do so via email. Make sure that you are making contact with us uh, and sending those, those questions in so that we can add them to our list and systematically work through them. We've had some great questions and uh, some awesome time to be able to uh, read those things and to be able to study those things. Um, it's been a been a great, great help on Thursday. Today is Tuesday, and we're in Hebrews chapter number three today. We're going to read verses one to six of our text, Hebrews chapter three, verses one to six. Uh, and so if you'll join us here in our Bible reading, we'll get into our study here in the book of Hebrews today. Wherefore, holy brethren, Brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house, as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But as Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Here in this particular text, in our particular um, passage today, we're going to see a further comparison given to us by the writer of the book of Hebrews. Now, we've been studying and, and we've talked about the fact that the concept of better is throughout the entire book. The word better appears 13 times in the book of Hebrews, but additionally to the word itself, the concept is really represented many, many more times than the word better is used. In fact, we don't see the word better really in this particular text of scripture, but the concept is really there. The comparison that's going to be made here in Hebrews chapter number three relates to the comparison between Christ and Moses. Now, we've already seen the comparison of Christ and angels. Christ is better than the angels. At no point did God ever say to the angels, sit at my right hand, or this is my beloved son. Why? Because the angels were created as spiritual beings, and while they had influence over the world. And while they were able to affirm the covenant, the old covenant that was given at Sinai, certainly they do not have the same privilege and position as the son of God, who is God. And we see that given to us in Hebrews chapter one, and the, that thought continued in chapter number two. Now, as we come to chapter number three, a comparison is going to be made between Christ and Moses. Now, Moses was the deliverer of the old Testament. In many ways, he was a figure or a type of Christ in that he was the deliverer sent into Egypt, which was a picture of the world, in order to be able to deliver God's people from the hand of oppression, which was a representation of sin, and lead them into the promised land, 
which the promised land is a picture of the saved life, the victorious Christian life. Now, as we think about those things, Moses was a was an important figure in the Old Testament to the Jews. He was one that was seen and and revered in a way that not many people in the Old Testament was revered. In fact, you would almost say the greatest leader in the Old Testament is Moses. The greatest king would be David. Um, so, you know, if you're putting him into a grouping, you're putting him into a pretty elite grouping as you see him presented in the Old Testament. So now there's going to be a comparison made between Christ and Moses. So we've already seen Christ and the angels, now Christ and Moses. And in this particular section, I've entitled this section, I've called it the household of the son, the household of the son, because not only is Moses going to be compared with Jesus, but the writer of Hebrews is going to use the concept of two houses that have been built. And which house should be preferred over this? And um, I'll give you just two guesses as to what the old house and the new house represent. All right. So we'll we'll get into this here today. I want you to notice in verse number one, I want you to notice the partakers of the house, the partakers of the house. Notice he says in verse number one, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So we open with the partakers here, and he says, wherefore, holy brethren. That tells us who we're talking about, brothers and sisters who have been made holy as a result of what? He says, partakers of the heavenly calling. Of course, we know that this is the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ calls us. This is the same gospel, same salvation that's mentioned in chapter number two, that how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? This salvation, which was offered to us in Christ, when we receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and we become partakers of the heavenly calling, calling us out of darkness and into light, we become new creatures. We become holy brethren. Now, the partakers here that he's particularly speaking to are those that have heard the gospel and responded to the gospel. Those that have heard the heavenly calling, heard the wooing of the Holy Spirit in their heart, and responded to the truth of who Jesus is. <clears throat> now, you'll notice um, as this passage unfolds in chapter number two, the interesting thought here uh, is that the same partakers here in chapter three and verse number one are the many sons who were called in the previous passage. We can't divorce it from its context. If you'll go back to chapter two and verse number 10, the Bible says, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. These are the partakers. That is, these are the holy brethren, the people that were brought to salvation by the captain uh, that we talked about in our last lesson, who's mentioned the captain of their salvation in verse number 10. Now, as he goes on into this text, you'll notice he uses the word partakers in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. That is, <clears throat> in verse number 14, he talks about the fact that those that have been saved and those many sons that have been brought were partakers of the flesh. That is, we have been, we are flesh and bones and blood. And as a result of being flesh and bones and blood, the only way that Christ could become our redeemer is to become flesh and bones and blood himself. So 
Christ is bringing all of these people with him, these many sons he's bringing to glory. But on top of that, when we talk about being partakers, think about this. Christ became a partaker of flesh and blood so that we might be made partakers in the heavenly calling. And so you'll notice verse number one, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. We have been made partakers of the heavenly calling because Christ was a partaker of heaven of flesh and blood in order to be able to redeem us. And because Christ, our captain, is bringing many sons unto the glory. That's Those are the partakers of the house. The many sons from chapter two are the same people. And we ought to be thankful because there's not one of us that deserves this particular, uh, this particular uh, place or this particular position. None of us deserve to be partakers of the heavenly calling. Yet by God's grace and for God's glory, he's calling us out of this world and calling us into the world to come. He's calling us to a new life. And so the partakers of this house are the ones who have believed, these holy brethren that we see in the first part of chapter num- of verse number one. But the second part of verse number one, we not only see the partakers of the house, but then the focus shifts to the profession of the house, the profession of the house. Those that are partakers must profess faith in someone. And you'll notice in verse number one, the Bible says, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. What are we partakers in? We're partakers in this heavenly house, this heavenly calling. But at the same time, not only partakers in the heavenly calling, but these who have made this this house their home have a particular profession, something that they declare. And what is their profession? Well, our profession is in Christ. Notice the two things that are said of him in this text. Consider the apostle and high priest the apostle and high priest. <clears throat> now, it's interesting here that you've got two words, an Old Testament word and a New Testament word that are kind of mingled together. Apostle would be more of a New Testament word and high priest would be more of an Old Testament word. Now, when we think about the two of these, let's think about how they work together. The word apostle here means sent ones, an emissary. He's one who's sent on behalf of another. Uh, an ambassador. Um, The disciples were followers first, and then after they were followers, then Jesus Christ took them and sent them, didn't he? Now he sent them, and after he sent them, he began calling them apostles. They were the specific ones who were sent with the gospel message to the world. Now, of course, we don't believe we have apostles anymore because those men were eyewitnesses of the the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were chosen by Jesus himself. Now we have other gifted men within the church uh, to be able to help us and aid us. We've got uh, evangelists. We've got pastors and teachers that God gives us, and they're gifted um, in really in replacement of the Old Testament apostles leading churches for the glory of God. And so we consider the apostle. Now, Jesus was the one sent from heaven. Jesus was really the first apostle. That is, he was sent by God. He was God's apostle sent with the message of salvation to the world. But he wasn't just the one who was sent with the message. He was the one who was to carry out and perform the actual actual work of salvation. And that's why he's called the high priest. 
He's the high priest that took his own blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. He's the high priest that offered the sacrifice. He's the high priest that offered himself. He's the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he took his own blood and he offered it as an atonement for your sin and for mine. So not only is Jesus the one sent with a message, he's also the high priest who is able to perform the functions of the high priest in that in that uh, that most holy place where he's sprinkling the blood and where he's doing the work of the high priest. This is a this is a great truth. The the marrying of these two things that he was a great representative of God. And he was the one who who labored for God. Now, in some ways, Moses, now we know that Aaron was the high priest and the spokesman, but God really intended for Moses to occupy the position of being uh, the one that God used. And primarily it was Moses. I think the comparison here is really Moses was a one who was sent with a message, wasn't he? He was sent with a message to Pharaoh, let my people go, let them be freed uh, from their bondage. He was also one who was an uh, an inter- intercessor. Was there any greater intercessor in the Old Testament for the people of God than Moses? Moses went to God on multiple occasions and interceded for the people in their sin and their wickedness. They're complaining and they're murmuring against God. And that's what a high priest does. He, he is the mediator. He's the one who is the intermediary. So the reason why the writer would use the terms apostle and high priest here is because Moses is also one who performed these functions. While he may not have assumed these roles in particular, he did really perform these functions in the sense that he is the one, he was the one who was sent by God to uh, with a message of deliverance, just like Jesus was. And he is the great interceder, the great high priest who interceded for the people and, and basically went to God for them, which is what the high priest did. And that's what Jesus did for us. And so again, the profession of our house is that we have the apostle and high priest of our profession, which is Christ Jesus. Now I said all that to be able to help you understand why Moses is going to be introduced to us in the second verse. Moses figure, Moses person is one that gives us great representation of these two concepts, as we've just talked about, as being an apostle and a high priest. But let me stop and say this. Verse 1 is speaking of the only apostle and the only high priest that we worship, the one that is better than Moses, the one who has built a better household, and that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that is our profession. Okay. Not only are we partakers of this house, we also, the profession of our house is the fact that Christ is the apostle and high priest. He is the one that we follow. He is our interceder, he intercessor. He is the one who is, is the mediator between God and man. He is the apostle, uh, the sent one, the one who is sent to, to, to earth with a message from God. And so that is really the understanding of verse number one. Now, as we continue to move on, I want you to notice the contrast that's made in these next verses. I want you to see, secondly, their positions in their houses, their positions in their houses, or excuse me, thirdly, their positions. Now, there's a contrast between the two men that are drawn here in verses uh, two, three, and four, um, and verse five. And I kind of want you to see this. Um, in these verses. Notice the Bible says in verse two, who was faithful, that's Christ, 
who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Fidelity, faithfulness. Now, I want you to see this concept of faithful. It's going to appear multiple times. It's going to appear verse 2, verse 5. The concept's going to be given to us in verse number 6. It is important. Why? Because the Jews that, that the writer of Hebrews is talking about are, are having doubts about their faith in Christ. Some of them are going back to their old Judaism. Some of them are going to go, go back to the old covenant. And so there's a comparison here between two houses. Now, I'm be, um, uh, as we look at uh, the concept of verses two to five in this particular section, understand that there's a comparison between two houses, okay? Two houses. And these both of these houses that we talk about here in this particular text, one represents the old covenant and the other one represents the new covenant. Now, in the comparison of these houses, who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. So notice the concept of fidelity. It's very important because of the abandonment that we're seeing with these Jews. But but there's a comparison. Just as Christ was faithful, so Moses was also faithful. He was faithful in all his house. You'll notice what he says here in uh, this particular text. He says, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. Now, there's a comparison here um, in this in this text as far as their positions are concerned, um, where they where they stand and uh, what they're doing. So, uh, as we look at these comparisons, I think this is really uh, important. Moses compared to Jesus um, in this particular text. Notice in verse three, he talks about the the one who the for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he hath he's who, he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. That is, Christ has given given more glory than Moses. Why? Because Christ built the house. And you'll notice, not only did he build a house, but he built his own house. Notice he says, verse 4, For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Now, again, who built the house? Verse number 3, this man. Who's this man? It's Christ. In verse number 4, every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. So who built the house? Christ. But who builds all houses? God. Once again, he's saying that Jesus Christ is God in this particular text. But I want you to see the difference between them. Notice what the Bible says in verse 5 and 6. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house. There's that term again, faithful. As a servant. As a servant. What was Moses' position in his house? Well, again, it was God's house. And as a result of being God's house, because God builds all houses, and God built the old covenant, in the old covenant, in the old covenant house, what was Moses? Moses was a servant. You'll notice he was a servant in the house. Now, what was a servant? A servant was one who tended to the needs. A servant was a one who who was was faithful, who uh, who essentially tended to the needs of the master of the house, and that was what Moses was. The master of the house was was God. The master of the house was the one who built the house, and of course, Moses was the servant of God. The Bible calls him the servant of God. He was one who served the Lord and he served the Lord faithfully. There's no shame in that. 
But he was not an heir of the house in the sense that he was going, he was put in the position as a son. Some servants did get to be sons or some servants did get to inherit things because they were considered in the inheritance. But a servant was never in the same position as the son. The son occupied a special spot. So when you look at Moses, the reason why Christ is greater than Moses is because Moses was just a servant in the old covenant house. But notice verse number six, but Christ as a son over his own house. Now there's a difference here, a contrast. Moses was a servant and thank the Lord for godly servants. And I think the most that you and I would strive for in our life is to be a servant in God's house, just to be a butler, to, to work in some way, to be able to serve and labor and do for God and to be called his servants. That's the way Paul identified himself, a servant of Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the highest thing that I think can be said of us. And what a wonderful thing for it to be said of Moses here in this text. Moses was a servant of God. What a, what a wonderful thing to be called God's servant, God's man. But there's a difference between being a servant and being the son. There's a difference. Now, you'll notice in verse number six that Christ even has his own house. But Christ has a son over his own house, whose house we are. That is, he's got a new house he's building. And he's not just a servant in that house. He is the son. He's the heir. He's the one appointed. He's the firstborn. He's the only begotten of God. And we see the, the concept of what's being said to us here in this. Their positions in this house, Moses is compared to Jesus, but also what we're seeing is a, a servant versus a son, but we're also seeing the old covenant versus the new in these two houses. Notice in verse two, Moses was faithful in all his house. This man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house. Again, Moses was faithful in his house. What was his house? His house was the old covenant. His house was the old letter of the law. His house was the one written in stone. All right. He says, as a servant. For the testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, that is, Moses was faithful, and we still talk about him this day, to this day, his faithfulness. But notice verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. Jesus has built a new house. Moses served in God's house. It was the house that God built, but the, the best that he could aspire to was servanthood. But Christ has built his own house. And this house is to be preferred it's greater than the house that Moses had. He's because he's the son over his own house. And because his son, his house includes us. We are made part of this household. We are brothers and sisters. We are the many sons that have been brought to glory. We are the partakers. What a blessing to know that you and I are partakers of this heavenly house that God loves us and that Christ came and gave his life for us. And, and as the son, he's the heir of all things. As the son, he's the, he's the son of the builder. And at the same time, he's also the builder of his own house. He made his own house. And as the son, he's going to be heir of all things. And you and I are partakers of it and made part of this household. 
Now, not only do I want you to see the positions in their houses, but I want you to see the preference over the house. Look at what he says here in verse number three and four. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. That is, why would we honor a structure and why would we honor a building when we could honor the one who built the building? I mean, you see a great work, a great something great that's been, you, you don't just look at it and go, man, what a great house. You should think, you know what? I want to think about the person that, that built it. I want to think about the architect. I want to think about the builder. Boy, this thing is a masterpiece. What an amazing thing. I mean, you admire what's in the house. You admire the way the house is structured. But really, the praise belongs to the person who built the house. Uh, listen, when we talk about great paintings and great works of art, we don't just look at the work of art and just say, what a magnificent piece. No, we say, this was made by this was painted by, this is uh, attributed to, and we give the praise and we give the glory to the artist that conceived it and brought it. And that's really the concept here. Honor the builder, not the house. Honor the architect, the one who made it. Honor God. We honor God in a greater way than we honor Moses. He says, for this man was counted worthy. The reason why we honor Christ more than we honor Moses is because Christ built the house. Christ is the one who, who made the house. Christ is the one who, who brought it together. It's his house. Verse four, for every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. That is, man can build houses, but God is the one. Uh, man can and man can occupy houses. Man can serve in houses, but God is the one that builds them. And so we see the preference over the house. Honor the builder, not the house. Respect him. Give glory to him. And then, lastly, in our text today, I want you to see the proving in the house. The proving in the house. Now, this concept is an important concept. I've already told you that the word faithful appears multiple times in this text. But notice with me, verse number six. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are. Now, again, we are his house. We are partakers of the heavenly calling. We are through faith in Christ. That's how we become part of this household. He's bringing many sons to glory. He became a partaker of flesh and blood so that we might be partakers of the heavenly calling. This is the, the great, some of the great truths in Hebrews. But now, as we come to verse number six, what he's saying is that there's a proof. You prove yourself in this household through faithfulness. Now, what does the Bible say of Moses? Moses was, verse number two, who was faithful to him that appointed him. Notice it with me in verse number five. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant. What does God want from us? God wants us to be faithful in his house. God wants to be, us to be faithful to him. He does not want us wavering in our faith. He does not want us falling away. He does not want us going back to our old, our old faith, our old religion, as many of these Jews were returning back to their old faith. And so the emphasis on faithfulness here is not an emphasis of faithfulness unto salvation. It's faith that brings salvation. But faithfulness is the proof of the fact that we belong in this household, that we've made the right choice. To go back to the old covenant, 
was a step backward for these Jews. To go backward was not to go forward. You were supposed to go forward with Christ. Let's move on. You're going to see that again, the concept of moving on in Hebrews 6. Let's move on. So notice he says in verse number six, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, <clears throat> if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. That is, again, he's not saying to us that um, we earn our salvation by being faithful, but he's simply saying we prove that we are the partakers of this household. We prove that we have genuinely believed we prove through the holding fast of our profession. We prove in this way that we are the ones that, that know and understand that Christ is greater than Moses. If Christ is greater than Moses, I don't need to go back to Moses. I don't need to go back to the old house. When I'm living in the new house, when I'm living in under the new covenant, under the new covenant that Jesus has given us, what a step backward to go back to the old house and back to Moses when I'm living in the new house with Jesus. And that is the concept, which leads us to the precipice of our second great warning that's going to take place here, beginning in verse number seven. Now, the first warning we saw was in chapter number two, verses one to four, to not neglect this great salvation. The second warning now is going to take place beginning in verse number seven, and Lord willing, we'll get to that next week. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on this Tuesday broadcast of Wisdom in the Word. I hope that this study in Hebrews has been a help to you and is being a help to you. We hope to see you again on Thursday as we'll be answering your questions from the Bible. Submit those questions to us. If you have anything additional that you'd like to add or ask, um, we'll get to them and just make sure to stay tuned in to the podcast and to the broadcast so that you can hear your question when it is answered. I hope the rest of your day is blessed. May the Lord bless you. Continue Continue to remember your many responsibility and let's be faithful in this house. God bless you today. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wisdom in the Word podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to support us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this show on your favorite podcast app and sharing something you've learned on social media. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you next time on Wisdom in the Word.